Blog Talk Radio. The business of motorsports is complicated. There are all kinds of things that go into making a decision. However, NASCAR's job is to look out for the, quote, best interest of the sport. Sometimes, I think the higher-ups forget that. Because that doesn't necessarily mean bringing the most money into the sport. And sometimes, NASCAR lets the money make the decision. NASCAR has become a big business. Maybe too big. And now the fans are starting to suffer. It's Talking in Circles. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with SpeedwayMedia.com's John Harlow as we bring you another great episode of Talking in Circles. Today, we will discuss front row motorsports plans for 2017, NASCAR's new name for the Premier Series, Joey Gase's plans for 2017, and what would happen, just hypothetically, what is the future of NASCAR? Are we going to see shorter races? Are we going to see a caution clock? Are, what, might we see even, quote, timed races? And that's what my opening statement alluded to. But, John, we're just 68 days away from the 68th, or from the 59th Daytona 500, 68 days away from the 59th Daytona 500, 60 days away from the clash at Daytona, and about 55 days until the trailers load up and head to Daytona. It will be here before you know it. But first, let's discuss. Front Row Motorsports, they announced their plans for 2017. Landon Castle will return to the organization. He will drive the 34 car. Chris Buescher has departed, moved to JTG Daugherty Racing. We heard that earlier in the year. So Castle will drive the number 38 car. David Ritt, or 34 car, excuse me. Castle drove the 38 last season. That car will now be piloted by David Reagan. Reagan was at Front Row Motorsports. He drove the 34 car for a long time there, three or four years. Then he left. After the Daytona 500 in 2015, he left for Joker's Racing to fill in for Kyle Busch. Then he went to Michael Waltrip Racing, and then he drove for BK Racing for a year. But David Reagan is back. So Landon Castle, John, and David Reagan, the two drivers at Front Row Motorsports in 2017. What are your thoughts on those two drivers and their plans for next season? I think it's good for Front Row Motorsports that they have some sort of uh, consistency. David Reagan, uh, when he first came to the sport, Remember, Tony Stewart called him a dart without feathers, but he showed he's consistent. Uh, he doesn't tear up equipment. Um, the year he filled in for Kyle Busch and took over the 55 ride, he ran well. There was nothing wrong with David that year. There was nothing wrong with him. He ran the best he could with the equipment he had at BK Racing. He's found a way to be respectable. He was the first front-row motorsports car in victory lane whenever – uh, David Gillen pushed him across the finish line at Talladega. Um, Landon Castle is a good good young driver, came up through the uh, Hendrick Motorsports pipeline, and he just keeps plugging along, getting a little better each year, getting a little better each year. And I think Bob Jenkins and his group are trying to be that one team that's going to grow into becoming a real, legit NASCAR team. And they're doing it slowly but surely. How long will Bob Jenkins have the patience for it? That's one thing. But I think it's going to be a better team this year. There's consistency, and I think it'll be good. 
Yeah, and with a lot of teams shutting down, John, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, you know, Rash Fenway's um, losing a team. I know the 47th gaining one. We're going to have 36 chartered teams, but there's a couple of teams out there who are being replaced. So there's a couple of guys out there who these teams might be able to hire um, that have a lot of more experience than the guys they had last year or might be even a little bit better and a little bit more knowledgeable than the guys they had there last year. They still want to have Sakuchi on a 38 car with David Reagan. Uh, Landon Castle sounds like Donnie Wingo, the veteran crew chief who's been around for literally forever, um, will be with Landon Castle next year. But listen, I agree. I think Castle's a guy who seems to get better every season. People forget he started off as a young kid in the Xfinity Series for Hendrick Motorsports years and years ago. Did a lot of testing for Hendrick Motorsports back in the day. I think with all that experience, he's really learned how to drive these race cars. You know, and he didn't have much. I think it was around 2010 he started started to start and park in this sport and really worked his way up from a start and park team, helped build Hillman Racing. Hillman Racing didn't have a charter. Then Motorsports got their hands on him. And he made an interesting comment this weekend on Series 6 on NASCAR Radio where Frontline Motorsports basically came out and said, listen, uh, last year we were trying to finish races, trying to get our cars to finish races. This year we're trying to build our cars for speed. Uh, and Landon Castle said that. We're trying to build our car for speed. Castle was... was the driver who finished most races in a Cup Series last year, 35 of 36 races he finished. Now they're focused on speeding the cars. They'll still have an alliance with Ash Fenway. So we'll see how that goes. I think Landon's a very good young driver who, you know, potentially is working his way up to a nice career. Reagan, you mentioned him. When he was at Front of Motorsports' his first go-around, they, they ran really good. That 34 car I thought was uh, overachieved a little bit. I think they ran very, very well. Um, and, you know, Obviously, he's, he's gone off the Toyota teams. He's a much more knowledgeable driver now that really knows what goes into these Toyota teams a little bit, how they do how they do business and stuff. Uh, had a tough year last year at BK Racing, no doubt about it. I think everybody in that organization, Reagan included, was disappointed in what BK Racing put out there last year. They went and got Triad engines. They, they paid a lot of money to go out there and get Michael Waltrip's stuff, uh, bought a lot of that team's cars and, and, and a lot of their equipment that they used to build their race cars and they really struggled, especially towards the back end of the year. So I think Reagan kind of sat there and said, listen, you know what, let's go to a team that's got a little bit more a stability, uh, a team that I, I'm very friendly with. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's two really good hires out, th- out there for Frontline Motorsports. Um, Landon Castle mentioned Chase John uh, when he talked about it this week on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Do you think that's a legit goal for these guys, or are they still a little bit farther away from making the chase? I think they're still a little bit further away from making the chase. I mean, you look at who's all up there at the top. It's going to take a lot to get th- break through Joe Gibbs Racing. It's going to take a lot to break through Penske. It's going to take a lot to break through Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, Front Row Motorsports is they're hoping for top 20s. If they can get a win and sneak into it like they did last year with Chris Busher, that's one thing. But I don't see them legitimately pushing for victories on a regular basis to get themselves in the chase. If they if they get top twenty finishes, that's a win for them because they're not a power team like the Gibbs, the Penskys, the Hendricks, the Stuart Haas Racings. They're not even at the mid pack teams like the uh, Richard Childress and the Ganassis. They're one step below that, but they're one step above the bottom feeders who've been. I mean, you don't see front row motorsports swapping charters to try to make sure they're out of the bottom three. They they're respectable. They keep building. They keep trying. And sooner or later, uh, as we've talked about, there's going to be 
a shakeup at the top of NASCAR because those old, the, those old owners aren't getting any younger. Agreed, and and that's where you got to wonder if Bob Jenkins and those team that team over there, um, if they will excel with that because of the fact that these owners, when these owners do leave or you know uh, perish, we should say, you have to wonder if um, if that team will, will kind of fill the void that that will be left. And obviously, with the chartering system, I think you know it remains to be seen how how when a, if an owner does want to get out of this sport, how that will look. Um, I think that's something to keep on keep in mind as well. But yeah, you know, and what I like about Front Row Motorsports is, and a lot of people forget this about this team. You know, we saw Richard Petty Motorsports even do this in 2016, and they really, really struggled building their own chassis. Front Row Motorsports builds their own chassis. Sure, they get technical support from Roush Fenway, but they build their own chassis. They always have, and that's one of Bob Jenkins' uh, main points with this team is, hey, you know what? We ever get our engines, but we want to kind of keep what we do and how we build our chassis in house here. Uh, and they, they'll be better off in the long run, he, he feels. And he got even credit. You know, this is a guy who throws a lot of money into this team. Uh, he's an, a big-time entrepreneur, a big-time franchisee with Taco Bell. And uh, we've seen Long John Silvers. He's got a bunch of those. Uh, A&W Root Beers. And those are on the cars every now and then. Um, but, yeah, no, this team, I think, it's taking a while. You know, I remember when this team started, and I think it was 06 or 07, and Kevin LePage missed 34, 36 races in the 34 car, and they've built, they were in Chevrolet's back then. They've built their way up to Ford. They've done a really nice job. And um, Landon Castle, sort of that young kid who's, who's still learning and still working his way up, hasn't reached his peak yet. Then you've got David Reagan, who I believe is a little bit younger than Landon Castle, believe it or not. Um, but he's got a little bit more experience in the Cup Series and a guy who's won races in that, in that before. And, and I'll say this about the chase, John, uh, before we wrap this up. I think when you look at what Landon Castle did in that 40 car and F33 car in the plate tracks, and David Reagan, we know his prowess on the plate tracks. I think those two drivers uh, on the plate tracks, we saw it with with this team when Reagan won a Talladega in 2013. This this team focuses on the plate tracks. I think when you got a driver like Landon Castle and you got a driver like David Reagan, who could really go out there and they could win on a plate track. And those are that's three opportunities: the 500, the first race of Talladega, and then the 400 miler. In July, those are three opportunities for that team to make the chase. And I think when you look at Reagan, I don't think he could compete last year with that 23 car even on the play track. So it's a step in the right direction for him. And I think both of those drivers are options to look at for drivers and teams who could win on a play track and get themselves into the chase that way. Uh, final thoughts, John, on, on the following motorsports hiring. I think, I mean, like we said, I think they're a respectable team. I think they're building it the right way. Uh, and those two, both of them, are respectable on the plate tracks and could sneak one in. The sad part is, though, if they do sneak one in and get in the chase, they're going to be like Chris Busher was and how fast they get out in the first four races. They're not consistent enough on the mile and a half or the half miles or the three-quarter miles or the miles. They can sneak one in on the restrictor plate tracks. They're just not there to compete with the big boys yet on the other on the intermediate tracks and other ones. No, you're right on that, and we saw that last year with Chris Busher, who won a Pocono last year due to a rain short race and kind of got his uh, had his hands full with to compete for a championship in the chase. Okay, um, NASCAR announced this week, yesterday actually, a new name for its premier series. There's a lot of speculation they're going to drop the cup uh, title from the premier series 
They didn't do that. The series will now be known as the Monster Energy Cup Series. Uh, so obviously Monster Energy, it used to be what we used to know as a NASCAR Sprint Cup Series, is now the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. Um, what are your thoughts on that, John? Kind of interesting how they moved the sponsor to the front of the title of the series. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I was going to say, every time there's ever been a sponsorship throughout it, it's been NASCAR first. It was the NASCAR Winston Cup Series, NASCAR Nextel Cup Series, NASCAR Sprint Cup Series. Now it's the Monster Energy Sprint or NASCAR Cup Series. It doesn't come off well. It's tough to say. And I can just see everybody tripping and falling over it whenever they're down at Daytona talking about it. Um, it's one of those things where Monster's putting money into it, and it seems, I mean, as you keep seeing, that it was very last minute whenever they announced the sponsorship. It might have been where NASCAR took what they could get, and Monster's basically saying, we're going to do it this way. And if you don't like it this way, we're taking our money and going home. I think Bill France Sr. and Bill France Jr. can't be happy with the state of the way things are right now. It is interesting, and I think one of the most interesting – I had a different take on it. My take on it is, you know, remember last week we talked about on this show how Monster Energy, two-year deal, it was reported um, that it, it's a two-year deal with an option after that. Um, I think this makes it a little bit more easier for a sponsor to come in and you kind of just drop it from – because NASCAR Cup Series, that those three words together, NASCAR Cup Series – will most likely never change until NASCAR decides it changes, will never change again. The NASCAR Cup Series will never change. The only thing that will change is Monster Energy or whatever's in front of it. And I think that makes it a little bit more interesting because it can it would make it not sound as bad. Whereas if it was NASCAR Monster Energy Cup Series, you're like, whoa, 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 what happened to Sprint? You know, I, I just think it makes it easier to replace that sponsor if, it, if need be. Um, I know it might sound ridiculous, but I think that's the case. I also think the other thing is, is that Monster Energy is the first thing you hear when you when you talk about the name Monster Energy. Monster, they want to pull, post, you know, push Monster Energy. It's not NASCAR, and people turn it off. Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. Okay, and I got a question, John. Do you think we're going to see this with the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series? Do you think NASCAR sits there and goes, because if I'm Xfinity and I'm Camping World, I'm sitting there going, whoa, 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 whoa I want that too. What Monster just did, I want. I want it to be the Xfinity NASCAR Grand National Series. I want it to be the Camping World NASCAR Truck Series. What are your thoughts on that, John? Do you think that that Camping World and Xfinity will will push for that? I don't think so, because if you look at it, how often do we say the NASCAR Xfinity Series? Most of the time it's the Xfinity Series. Most of the time it's the Camping World Truck Series. We don't really, most of the time, throw NASCAR in those two series. Most of the time, and as we go forward, what do we call it most of the time whenever we're talking about it? Do we really worry about <coughs> the Sprint Cup or the Nextel Cup? We call it the Cup Series, and we call it the Xfinity Series. We call it the uh, Campy World Truck Series. Most of the time, we don't say the name with the Cup Series. So it's six of one, half dozen of the other. It doesn't really matter to me. I'm going to probably call it whatever I call it. I mean, I call it the Xfinity Series. I call it the Truck Series. Every now and then I'll throw the Camping World in there. But, I mean, it doesn't matter what I call it. It's a matter of how they uh, market it and everything. And 
I really don't see that big a deal because if you look, NASCAR is just a small little word on the big billboard. Xfinity's huge. Yeah, I agree. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero here. If you want to join the conversation on talking in circles, it is interesting because I do think couples important or premiere or something like that to be in there. Where I think a lot of people thought when when there was talk that Cup was going to be dropped from the series that it was going to be the Monster Energy series, and I, I didn't like that from the fact of, and I don't think I ever touched on this on the show before, so if I did, I, I'm sorry, but the fact that we needed something to sort of tell you that it was the Premier Series and the Cup Series, whether you said Premier Series, uh, Premier Series and NASCAR, I should say, whether it was the Premier Series, whether it's Cup. I think when people think about Cup, it's the top echelon of NASCAR. That You can't go any higher than that. That is the big leagues. That is the equivalent to the NFL, that is equivalent to Major League Baseball. Cup is that. And if you had Monster Energy Series, people would go, wait, 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 wait. Is Monster Energy sort of, you know, is that Xfinity? Is that what, what is, is that what Cup is? It just, now there's no question. When you hear Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, like, oh, okay, the Cup Series. Okay, that that's, so from that standpoint, John, I really like the fact that they kept Cup. Uh, they also have, have a new logo, too. Um, you know, first time since 1976, they changed the logo up. It's a little bit more cartoonish. What are your thoughts real quick on that, John? Do you like the new logo? And what about the cup? Do you like that they kept the cup? Uh, I like cup because it's easier for us to refer to it because that's how we've always called it. We've always called it the cup series. Now, if they put a cup as a trophy, I'd make it even better. The logo, I mean, it's nice. Doesn't make a big deal to me. I, If I'm worried about logos, then I'm concerned. Um, one of the things I was listening to today, whenever I was listening to Moody coming home, they were talking about the how Monster likes the drivers to show more and more personality. And because lately it's been a pretty vanilla sport, what's the difference? Do they please Monster or do they please their individual team sponsors? Because a lot of the team sponsors are buttoned down, want to make sure everybody's good. Mm-hmm. How much of a conflict is it going to be? And how long is Monster going to stay here? That's the big question. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason. Um, that I think they're interested in that, too, NASCAR. And I think it's going to be very interesting two years if, if it is a two-year deal. Brian Plant said it's not. It was reported it is. Until I hear otherwise, I'm going to refer to it as a two-year deal. It's going to be very interesting two, three, however many years Monster is here because of the fact that they might change. They might rock the boat a little bit. They might change things up a little bit. And it is interesting because I think – uh, I think it was somebody was telling me this weekend, you know, for Jimmy Johnson, what keeps Jimmy Johnson sort of, when people refer to Jimmy Johnson as vanilla, and what keeps him in line there is, is Lowe's. Lowe's likes that. Lowe's has always been that way. Um, and Jimmy's not going to change. And these guys aren't going to change. I think Kyle Busch is a guy who shows a lot of emotion. I think he's still going to show a lot of emotion. Um, and maybe, and again, this is where I, I look at it. I think these drivers who have been in the Cup Series for a long time won't feel the emotion because it's it's sort of what they're used to, where in the back of their minds they're just sitting there going, eh, I don't know if I want to do that, where if these young kids who come up who are rookies or, or just getting into NASCAR and they show some emotion and nothing happens to them, then I think you'll see the emotion hit, and I think it'll be a big hit. Um, I think that's something that definitely will happen, but I don't think we're going to see the immediate impact with driver's personalities here in the first couple of years of this of this contract with Monster Energy, John. It's going to be interesting to see how it ends up going. I mean, I still, the jury's definitely way out. 
you don't I mean, like we've said, there's the reports that it's a two year deal. Brian France says it's not. I mean it's a multi year deal, which means at least two with um options. So Monster could end up saying, Okay, we're gonna stay around as long as we want or they could after two years say, Well, I'm not not quite so sure and then we're back at it again and it took two years to get Monster. Yeah. It, and it's gonna be and you have to wonder if they're if it is a two-year deal, if they're starting to work on that contract after Monster right now, because you want to kind of get it in line. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Join the conversation here on Talking Circles. One other quick point I want to make, and it's really irrelevant to us. I, I usually don't care about this, but if there's fans listening who do care about this, uh, something I saw interesting on Reddit about 15 minutes ago. Um, NASCAR. It looks like it looks like this hasn't been officially confirmed or not. It looks like NASCAR is moving the names of the drivers, which was on the front windshield. Uh, in a Cup Series, looks like they're going to move them to the back of the cars now and have Monster Energy on the front of the cars, like we see in Xfinity and like we see in the Camper World Truck Series. Um, something to keep, just something to keep an eye out for if you care about that kind of stuff. I know some people do, some people don't, but just wanted to touch on that as well. Also, an announcement today, John. BK Racing uh, still the jury's still out on their plans for the full 2017 season, but a little bit got a little bit more clear. Today, Joey Gase on his Twitter page announced he will run the Daytona 500, Kentucky, and the Bristol Night Race for BK Racing, driving the team's number 23 Toyota. He's got sponsorship from Best Home Furnishings. Um, it's going to be Gase's first Daytona 500. He's locked into the to the 500 um, with the 23. They have a charter there. Uh, what are your thoughts on Joey Gase there, John? A guy who's running the Xfinity Series for Jimmy Means the last couple of years. We haven't really seen him in, in great stuff. Um, you know, he run a 32 every now and then in the Cup Series, but what are your thoughts on him going to the 23 for at least a couple of races in 2017? Well, he's going to end up going from mid-to-backpack from Xfinity to mid-backpack for um, – the Cup Series. BK Racing, I mean, we saw last year, David Reagan is a solid driver and really couldn't get anything out of the cars because they really weren't that good. Matt DiBenedetto has driven well. He had the one place, one time at uh, Bristol where he ran great, but other than that, nothing to write home about. It looks like BK Racing, what they're trying to do is, if anybody wants to buy a race, come on down. We've got a car. We can put your name on it. We can put your sponsor on it. We'd love to have you because it doesn't look like there's any kind of consistency. They just look like they're trying to make sure they keep their chartered cars on the track with whoever will pay to go. Yeah, and I, and it's funny because when you think of um, what the 32 team has done the last couple of years, and that's what Gase was last year, um, They've kind of taken that plan, and they've kind of 32 cars kind of strapped it, scrapped. It. They said, "Listen, we tried that the last three years, kind of hiring drivers with sponsor." We saw Jeffrey Earnhardt with Can-Am. We saw Bobby Labonte come in there on the play tracks with uh, CJ Energy Resources. We saw Joey Gates come in there with the Donate Life. Plenty of drivers have come into that team with sponsorship, and that was kind of a thing they said. You know, you can't get any better that way, which was interesting that they kind of took that and they've kind of scrapped it this year. And they said, you know, we're going to keep Matthew Benedetto. He's a good driver. And we're going to keep one driver in that car because we feel like we can improve that way. Um, so you have to wonder, John, do you, do you like that strategy with the 32s done this year better than what they did last year? Where do, you, do you understand why teams do that? I guess it comes down 
ultimately the finances and what these teams have and what they don't have um, with BK Racing hiring multiple drivers, which it looks like they're going to do. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that whole situation? Do you like multiple drivers? Do you understand that? Do you think it really doesn't make a difference? What are your thoughts on that? Where they're at in the field, it really doesn't make a difference. If they were trying to get up front, that's one thing, but they're trying to keep their shop open, they're trying to keep their people employed, and they're trying to keep the car on the track and trying to keep their charter viable. Um, <clears throat> no real benefit one way or another with multiple drivers. I mean, your crew chief, you saw back in the day with the 55 car where Mikey would drive it a few races and then Mark Martin would drive Mark Martin drove it some and then somebody else drove it some. There was no real consistency, but one of the things it did with Rodney Childers, it got him ready for anything, and he walked right into Stuart Haas Racing, and him and Harvick went fast. If there's anything it does, it helps the crew chief because he's able to prepare for multiple drivers. It works for the 20 car in the Xfinity Series or the 18 car in the Xfinity Series because you get Kyle Busch in it one week, and he sets everything up, and then you go to their young buck driver, He's able to keep using off of Kyle Busch's notes, and it makes him go fast. It doesn't work that way for the back of the back car. With the 23 and the 32 have been for the past couple of years. I don't really see a big difference having multiple drivers. I just see them trying to keep the doors open. Yeah, I agree, John. I think that's a, that's a good point. Listen, I'm not a fan of multiple drivers a lot in this sport, but I think right now we talked about David Reagan last year. We talked about Lee Benedetto last year. They couldn't get much out of those cars. Um, and if you're going to run like that, why not run it f- fully funded and try and get some t- money in that team, both uh, of those cars, with, with drivers who bring sponsorships? Because if you're going to run the same anyway, if you're going to run 35th every week anyway, um, why not bring some money and try and get better, move, put some money into R&D, put some money into uh, the team? Why not? You know, To me, that, that makes a little bit more sense. Now, who knows if that's BK Racing's plans here. They haven't announced a driver for the 3 yet, which is interesting because it seems like right now teams want to get that news out. They don't want to go into next year, into January, at least the teams that have a charter or are somewhat funded, they don't want to go into January without an announcement being made. So um, we've seen a lot of drivers' announcements come out in the last 10 days, and I think that's part of the reason why. 917-889-8280 here. Join the conversation on Talking in Circles. Another little news tidbit that came out that was interesting was the fact that Target announced they will no longer sponsor the full season on Kyle Larson's number 42 car. Let me explain that a little bit. Um, Larson and Target have been together, you know, Ganassi and Target have been together, goodness gracious, I think Target was on a 41 car since Jimmy Spencer drove it in 2002. They've been on a 41 car and they've done every race at Ganassi, uh, with that, with the car they've been with, they've done every race since then. I don't think they've been off. Maybe with Montoya, they they shared some races with Juicy Fruit and stuff like that back in the day. But um, other than that, I, I you know they've been a, a big time sponsor, Chip Ganassi Racing, and now they're sort of selling some space on that car, the 42 car for next season, five to ten races. Uh, it seems like it was a mutual agreement between Chip Ganassi Racing and Target to kind of get some other sponsorships, some brand recognition with Kyle Larson. Um, Target's contract with the organization runs out after the 2017 season. They broke off their relationship in the IndyCar series, which had been which had they had been together since 1989. Um, and their contract, obviously, in the Cup series runs through the 2017 season. So they have to honor this contract. But what are your thoughts here, John? 
Larson's a big-time young driver, a uh, guy who a lot of people can see winning a lot of races in a Cup Series. Should Chip Ganassi be concerned here about this? What are your thoughts? Oh, if Chip Ganassi really needs to be concerned, because uh, Kyle Larson's contract runs out at the end of this year as well, at the end of 17. And Kyle Larson is bored. He's almost outgrown Chip Ganassi racing already. I mean, Chip took a shot on him whenever he was a real young buck. And, I mean, you look, he ran one half a season, really, of Xfinity before they brought him up because they knew that somebody was going to jump after him. And whenever Tony was trying to get, I mean, deciding to get out of the car, the first person he tried to get his hands on was Larson, but he couldn't get him out of the contract with Ganassi. So that's something to watch out for. Um, Larson does a lot of midget racing. Toyota's got a lot of midgets. Um, you never know. There could be a third furniture row car coming down the pipeline mm-hmm. if there's a way to pull it off. With all the contracts up and gets this year, one of those years. So yeah, listen. Well, John, you're breaking up again there a little bit, but um, you make your point about Toyota. It's a very good point because they had Kyle Larson. People forget, you know, when he was in running his first couple of years in NASCAR, they had him. He was in a Toyota contract, and Chip Ganassi kind of went out, bought him the Xfinity Series, and then rushed him up the cup as soon as he possibly could because he was afraid he was going to lose him. Um, and so that's interesting. That's something to keep an eye on as well. Listen, he's he would be a the hottest commodity, the hottest free agent in the Cup Series, no doubt about it, hands down, not even close. Um, but Ganassi is an interesting team because they always seem to sell sponsorship. Uh, Jimmy McMurray's number one car, they've been on a race in a long, long time, and they still are able to sell sponsorship on that car on a weekly basis, which is very interesting. I don't think this team is worried about um, shutting down any anything. I think they can sell sponsorship at a decent clip. I think they, they can prove they can run well. This is a big year for Larson, obviously. I think 2017 is... There's no more excuses for him. He won his cup race. This is a year for him to shine. If he goes out and wins multiple races, he doesn't win the championship, competes for the chase, and wins multiple races, that's a successful year for him. And I think everybody expects him to do that. And if he can do that, he'd be able to sell sponsorship at Chip Ganassi Racing without a doubt. I think Chip's going to give him everything he's got, the best stuff to go out there and do that to sell that, that sponsorship on that 42 car. So a big year for Kyle Larson. I just found that very interesting that they, that Target could be leaving this organization, on, and uh, I just thought maybe, John, it would be a big blow for them. I think I mean, part of it is Larson's able to, whenever you see him on the, whenever he does run truck races, he has different sponsorships on there. He has different people who do want to get behind him. So it might be one of those ones where, there are people lining up to get behind Kyle Larson and Ganassi's basically saying, okay, Target, you've been a great sponsor for me for 27 years through all my IndyCar racing. And when I came to Cup, you came with me, and I thank you for being here. I appreciate it. I know you guys are trying to change your marketing strategy, and I know we've got you under contract. So, hey, why don't I give you a break? Let's uh, get these ten races off the board, five to ten races that we're looking at. We'll try to sell them to somebody else, and we'll give you a break so you don't have to worry about putting the full bill out this year. Yeah, and that could definitely be definitely be the case. You know, he's going to be 24 years old, Larson. His fourth full year in the Cup Series. I expect a big year from him. 
Um, I think he, he's got it all figured out. He runs very well in the Xfinity Series when he goes down there. Um, I don't think he's going to want to do as many Xfinity races as he's done. Uh, this kid can drive. There's no doubt about this. This kid is a, a, a great race car driver in anything he's been in. Um, and I, I just expect that process, progress for him fall down a little bit in 2015. It just seemed like the team wasn't really as where they wanted to be. The beginning of last year, the team wasn't good at all. But they hit on something about April, and from then on, they were a really, really fast team. Uh, and I think Larson's only going to get better. And again, 2017 for him and this team could be essential moving forward for that number 42 team and Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, we'll see. You know, again, he'd be a big time, big time free agent if that's the case. Also, something to keep in mind as well is Chip Ganassi's uh, past relationship with Dodge. Dodge's team, Dodge's reportedly. Um, kind of weighing their options of whether or not they're going to come back into NASCAR. And if Dodge is going to throw a lot of money at this thing, maybe they, they Kyle Larson, they look at Kyle Larson as their guy to sort of go out there and sell the Dodge brand, and they'll be the, the company to sponsor the 42 car. Uh, that's something else, John, to keep an eye on as well with Chip Ganassi because he's got his fingers in so much things in the Indy cars, in the, open, in the, uh, the sports cars, and all that kind of stuff. Um, something else to keep an eye on for sure as we move forward to 2017. Well, Ganassi's uh, GT cars that he runs are Fords now. So Chip has his hands in everything. He's running Chevy in Cup. He's running Honda in IndyCar. And he's running Ford in his GT um, series. So you never know what Chip's going to get his hands into. If Dodge comes up with uh, – big money he probably would jump but the thing is chip was never really a engine builder when it came to nascar he got his engines from penske because penske and penske or ray everham were running the dodge engines so it's one of those things who's going to build the engines it isn't chip because chips never really had an engine program when they're running indycar they get them factory built from honda all they do is punch right. them in and go so i mean yeah. chips never really had an engine program and that's a good point. I mean, I think when he first started in Dodge, I believe, maybe if memory serves me right, I can't remember now anymore. It's been so long. I believe it was Ernie Elliott, Bill Elliott's brother, who had his his engine company built their engines when they first went to Dodge back in about 2008, 2009, if I remember correctly. So uh, you're right. They haven't really built their own engines, and it would be interesting to see if an engine deal from Dodge materializes or not through all that. It, it's very um Interesting. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Here, if you want to join the conversation, I'm talking in circles. Okay, John, we've done a lot of talking about the off season, um, but let's get a little bit into dive into something a little bit more. Um, you know what we like to talk about, and that is NASCAR itself as a sport. Um, and I was doing a lot of listening to the radio this weekend, and something struck me where. Um, they were talking about certain situations, and it got me thinking about what about if if down the road, maybe two, three years down the road, if we're going to see the caution clock appear in the Cup Series um, because of the fact that I think Monster has come out and they've said numerous times they're going to they're going to kind of rock the boat a little bit. I think Monster they're used to what we've seen. Um, with 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 uh, motorcycles, I think those races are shorter. Uh, the intention span, of, they they've really got a good grasp on on this millennials, the millennials uh, for for the motorcycles and the dirt bikes. Excuse me, 
that maybe they sit there and they say, listen, we want to have sort of shorter races, timed races. Um, so what do you think, John? You know, did you like what we saw with the caution clock this year in the truck series? They, in- they introduced it in the truck series. I don't think they would have done that without the intent to eventually run it in the cup series. Uh, what did you think about the truck series and the caution clock this year? Do you think it's going to have a big effect if they move it to the cup series? I think the caution clock in the truck series, I mean, it only, only hit, it didn't hit very often because the truck series finds a way to create their own cautions without the clock going off. Um, I didn't think it played a big role in it. I didn't really like it, but it wasn't anything that made me turn the race off for. All it did was build in additional drama on restarts, and once they got separated after the restarts, they were just back to beating and banging their normal way with the truck series. Um, the one thing that makes me nervous where you said about it is that the caution clock gets a timed races. And you look at how IndyCar does it a lot of times, they will – IndyCar – now, unlike NASCAR, IndyCar buys the TV time from the con- from the networks – not the other way around. The networks don't have a contract with IndyCar like they used. I mean, like they used to. IndyCar buys the time, and a lot of times they have in their contract that it's going to be a 300-mile race or two and a half hours, because that's mm-hmm. the window that they have for ESPN or NBCSN. And after the two and a half hours, they're going to whatever they're going to next. And that's one of the things we're going to look at as a as a problem. I mean, you look at it Sunday going up against the NFL in the fall. And the NFL's struggling with people because of how long the games are starting to get to be. It just is something that's very concerning that it's going to be 400 miles or three hours. And you're not going to know who, you're not going to know unless you're sitting in the crowd looking at your watch saying, okay, and then all of a sudden you see the thing up on top of the pylon where it says 50 to go, and then all of a sudden you see five. Right. That's going to be interesting. 917-889-8280. If you want to join the conversation here on Talking Circles, talking about the potential eventually, whether we should see the caution clock, whether you guys think we should see the caution clock, will we eventually even see see timed races, which I think might be a little bit further down the road than the caution clock, uh, because I, I just think NASCAR likes these miles, and I, I don't think they're going to be as um, hard on it on, this, on the time races as we see in the caution clock. I think we'll see the caution clock first, then the time races. But listen, personally, and it's hard for me to put myself into a newer fan perspective. I'm sorry, I have a hard time doing that. I tried my best, and there are some things that I think uh, I can live. I can live without. You know. I always refer back to the 90s and the 80s because I, I grew up, that's when I first fell in love with this sport. I think the sport was great back then. It was much more pure. Um, but And there were some things back then that we did were stupid. There really was. I mean, I remember when we used to, um, you know, if you remember, we used to the tail end of the field and, and the leader would start 13 cars back because, of, I mean, it was just a nightmare. That's a nightmare when we used to do that kind of stuff. So I hate that stuff. And I think that's something that's great that's gone. But, as an old school fan, I love long green flag runs. I like seeing 150 laps green flag runs. These drivers sort of on the edge out of control because it makes teams and drivers get a little bit desperate. Hey, 
around fourth, that leader, that third place car and that leader is starting to get really far, starting to get away. And if there's not a caution coming out, we're going to lose this race. Let's push the envelope a little bit here. Let's make an adjustment we wouldn't have to make because there's 80 to go now. And if this race runs green, let's push the envelope a little bit and we're going to spin out. They could maybe potentially spin out and crash. Now I think these teams and drivers know, hey, listen, we're going to get a caution. And with a caution clock, you are basically going to tell them, listen, the caution is coming out right now, here. And I think a lot of people look at the caution clock as a way to induce strategy into a race, where they sit there and go, well, you're going to have a lot of strategy because you're going to have a lot of pit stops. That's not necessarily the case, because everybody's going to be on the same strategy because everybody's going to be pitting at the same time with the caution clock. It doesn't induce strategy. It's fictional strategy. And when the teams pit at the same time, it, 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 it levels the playing field. I, I think it hurts the strategy of a race because if you tell me, you know what, I, these guys know what they're doing. They're smart. They're, they're all very, very smart. I'm going to come in and take four tires right now because I can make it the rest of the way out of fuel here. It, it, you know, it's just, to me, it's, I, I don't like it to induce strategy. I think if you like strategy, I don't think it's a good thing. Um, but I believe this whole idea with the caution clock started when NASCAR introduced the double five restarts. I think double five restarts are something that people look at as a very entertaining part of this sport. And they are. Listen, double five restarts, we watch them, you know, people leaning on each other, they go crazy on double five restarts because really, let's, let's be honest here. That is not the easiest place to pass, but that's where the most likely places to pass because the cars are all bunched up there. You can usually use a draft with another car, and stuff like that. But once the race starts to get spread out a little bit, it gets harder and harder and harder to pass these race cars. So I think that's where NASCAR looks at it and says, hey, you know what? With this caution clock, we're going to see more double final restarts, John. And I think NASCAR, that excites the opportunity of NASCAR to see more double final restarts. That's the way I look at it, at least. As we keep talking about the different things that could possibly happen, you'll wonder why Tony Stewart's driving a sprint car this year where he only has to drive 30 laps, drop the foot to the, put the foot to the floor and go. Because you don't have to, there's no thinking in it. It's like, okay, I'm going to drive. Here, I mean, is there going to be a 15-minute caution window? Is it going to be 20? Is it going to be whatever? And do we pit one lap before so we can get out in front of everybody? Do we wait till the caution where we can pit with no problems? Um, And the one thing it would do, it would keep a Coke 600 from happening the way Truex stunk up the field, stunk up the show. That's one of the things the caution clock can do is keep people from stinking up the show. But it just isn't pure racing to me. <clears throat> the thing where NASCAR keeps thinking is we got to do this to build excitement. We got to do this to build excitement. Take some of the engineering out of the car. Go back to where there's 10 Amen. guys in a shop building the car, and that's what they have. And there's your excitement because those guys are invested in their car. They're building it every week. They're hoping it works instead of 75 people sitting there around the dyno looking to see how, what, what, how many ticks you can get better in the wind tunnel. Mm-hmm. I agree. John, I'm glad you mentioned the 600 because you said Martin Church Jr. stunk up the Coke 600 this year. He did. And that is a very good point. And that's something that I, that I think NASCAR needs to do is open up the rule book a little bit. Get, the, get rid of the gear rule. And I'll, I did a little research before this show because I was curious because we always look at the Coca-Cola 600, the World 600, whatever you want to call it, as a race of attrition. Listen, it used to be a, a chore to finish 600 miles at Charlotte. 
1985, I went back to 85, it probably should have been a little bit longer before that, but in 1985, we had 20 of 42 cars DNF out of the, out of the 1985 Coca-Cola 600 for multiple reasons, whether it was crash, parts failures, engine failures, 20 of 42 cars, nearly half the field. In 1995, that number went down to 14. 14 out of 42 cars didn't finish. In 2005, 10 years later, 6 of 42 cars, 43 cars, did not finish that race. Last season, in the Coca-Cola 600, we had 38 of 40 cars finish the Coca-Cola 600. It's no longer a rate of attrition. These cars have gotten too... They, to me, I love the fact where you kind of had to drive, and it made it interesting. I think the biggest problem with NASCAR right now, and John, you can probably attest to this, and I know there's some people out there who are probably listening who've done this before. I haven't just because of the fact that usually I'm either covering the race or I'm watching it for a show purpose or something like that. But I know a lot of fans who sat, sat there and said this to me. I'll watch the first 20, 30 laps, then they get spread out. I won't watch them until the last 20, until there's 20 to go. That is a problem, and that's a problem I think NASCAR needs to fix. We need to keep these fans glued into the middle of a race. We need to make every piece of a race important. That's what we need to do. I think that that would make fans watch. You know, if you said a football game, well, you know what? Um, the really interesting part is going to be the first 20 minutes of the first 15, first quarter, but the second and third quarter, literally, literally nothing's going to happen. You're going to see a lot of punch. You're going to see no interceptions. Nothing's going to happen. But we want you to stay watching. And then the fourth quarter, you come back and say, oh, that's, that, that'll be a little bit entertaining because, you know, the game will wrap up and everything. It'll be, it'll be bad for the NFL, and I think that's what NASCAR is doing. The first quarter of these races, people are watching, going, okay. In the middle part of the race, nobody cares about because nothing happens. There's no more blown engines. There's no more wrecks. There's no more comers and goers because of the fact that we have so much engineering built into these race cars. And I also think the fact that we have too much track time. You know, we have so much technology now, the pull-down rigs, the wind tunnels, every other thing, the shaker rigs, everything that, that these teams use now to help bring the information to these to these racetracks, and we still have three hour three hours worth of practice before before a four hour race. To me, that's crazy. Let's fix that. Let's take some practice sessions away from these teams. Give them one hour prior to qualifying and one hour after qualifying, and tell them race. Uh, I just to me, it's just there's a lot of things wrong. I would open up the rule books a little bit, but the ultimate thing is, John, we have to keep the fans watching from lap eighty five to lap 200. That, to me, is the most important part of the race where fans go to sleep and don't care about the race anymore. That, to me, is what we have to change. I think there's two things that um, NASCAR has a problem with. The engines are so reliable these days. You can run them forever. And part of that is they got the rev limiter on there and the gear roll. They have a gear that's built to make that car run all 500 miles. The gear rule needs to go away. They need to take the rev chip out. If you freaking drop the hammer and it goes to 13,000 RPMs and it blows up, guess what? You blew your engine. You learn to drive that way. Um, the other thing that we're having problems with is when you said there's no comers and goers. The rule book is set so damn much where from start to finish, from in the pole position to 40th, they're probably less than a second apart almost every place they go. 
and most of the time the top 20 is within a half a second. So that's not too much, especially when you're on the track. You can't really make that up because you're so darn close. Mm-hmm. Everybody's running the same speed. If you get out there and you get you get in clean air, you go. You can't pass the guy because you have, you're running as fast as he is. Nobody has a chance to run faster than somebody else where the rule book has it set up where pretty much everybody's equal. 907-889-8280 to join the conversation here on Talking Circles. Oh, man, you touched on a good point there because I was listening to Drew Blickenster for a crew chief of the 43 car uh, this today on Trading Paint with, I think it was Brad Kelly today, and Chocolate Myers. Um, they, he was talking about the same thing you just talked on. You know, we used to go to the racetrack and you look for tenths, tenths off. He, this is it, basically what he said. I don't know if I'm, para- if I'm paraphrasing or exact quoting, but he said, if you're two tenths off now, you're 25th. Um, that two tenths is the difference between whether or not you're 30th or whether or not you're in the top five. Um, and sometimes, and now this is me, my opinion here, sometimes I think too close, these cars being too close is not a good thing. Um, we need to kind of make it to where, you know, different parts, different pieces. And I think John Darby was a guy who, listen, a lot of people had a problem with how NASCAR was run back in 2005, 2006, where we really, really um, brought down the, the quote-unquote cheaters. There was a lot of cheating going on. Uh, John Darby, who was who was in NASCAR at that point, um, kind of really took a brass fist to the cheaters of this sport and, and really tightened up the rule book a lot. Um, and I think we had a group of fans there who were for, were all for that because I think we had a group of fans who were coming in from a different background, maybe sick and ball sport, who were interested because they saw what this thing NASCAR was and, and, the, and it rose in popularity because of the death of Dale Earnhardt. And I think everybody was kind of going, well, everybody's got to be in the same rules. Yes, everybody's got to be in the same rules. Tighten up the rule book. Good, good, good. Now those fans have gone. And we're stuck with a tight rule book now. And I think that in, in us old school fans and fans who have been watching the sport for a long time are going, man, these cars are so regulated. You know, it, it's amazing to me, John. And um, I can't remember who said this. Whether It might have been even Chocolate today on the radio. And he's absolutely right about this. If you took a hammer to the front to the front end of a race car and you dented it in just a little bit, that could affect the handling of the race car drastically. To me, that's a big, big, big problem and something that a sport that is that was built on leaning on people, rubbing the fenders a little bit, um, a sport that was built on that, that's not good. I think stock cars were... What made stock cars better, in my opinion, than IndyCar and open wheels was you could lean on each other a little bit. You could rub each other's sides. You could rub them, go on and, and make a little bit of contact if you had to to get somebody out of the way. That's what made stock car racing best, in my opinion, and we've gotten completely away from that. And that's something I would like to see change. But the problem is how. Um, we've just gotten so aero-dependent in these race cars now. That's a big problem. And that's the way the rule book set up. I mean, everything. I mean, if you would have thought way back in the day, what would be the chances of Junior Johnson taking a car to the wind tunnel? He wouldn't care. Junior Johnson puts four tires on it, puts the engine on it, tries to find ways to make the gas go longer, try to tune up the carburetor the way he could get it to go, 
And he just tried to outsmart you with what he could do with an engine and with the car built the way it was. The way it is anymore, I mean, you're right. The wind tunnel and how much it, how much the wind tunnel means to these cars and how much aerodynamics means to these cars is crazy. I mean, if we put a dent in our car, is that going to mess up how we drive it? No, it's still going to be able to drive. It's just going to not look so good. And that's what it's got to be able to do. You've got to be able to drive with a dent in it because somebody's going to be beside you and somebody's going to bump into you. That's the way it works. It just, they need to take a lot of the engineering out of this thing. Open up the rule book. I mean, the one thing, my favorite race I ever watched was the Winston when Gordon brought out T-Rex <laughs> and blew the field away. And everything was completely in the gray area of the rule book. And right now, there's almost no gray area in that rule book to come up with a car like the T-Rex. Mhm. Right, and I think what we've gotten now is it's just it's so there's so there's only so much you can do to these cars, and but when you see a team like Roush struggling, I think part of it is the fact that they they're kind of not not to call them dumb or, or clueless or anything, but they're kind of at a loss for what to do because there's only so many things you can change to a car, um, and, and still be within the rules, and. You know, a lot of these pieces now are are given to them by NASCAR. A lot of these pieces now are given to them by the manufacturer. And I just think if you let these teams kind of sit there and go, hey, listen, and, and it doesn't have to be a a crazy. Just say, just tell these teams, listen, we're getting a little bit lax on the rules. We're still we still want everybody to be in this um, template. We still want everybody, but as far as you know what you do with the rear end of the cars. We're going to let you get a little bit creative. Now, obviously, there's an element of safety. And here's another thing, John. Safety's become, come a long way in the last 15 years since we lost Dale Earnhardt. Um, and I think some of it, some of it has been at the expense of entertainment. Um, I think that's why we see front, front spoilers on these cars and, and side skirts on these cars is because they don't want them getting upside down. Um, and I think that's why NASCAR is so reluctant because we see drivers all the time complain about cars getting upside down. And and listen, I I know I am. I've heard you plenty of times, John. Not a big fan of the, of, of the of the side skirt. Not a big fan of the front splitter. Me too. I agree. I I hate them both. But then you got to push and pull the way of the drivers where you say, if you tell these drivers, listen, we're going to raise these cars up a little bit. We're going to get them off the ground. But that means you're more likely to go upside down and and, and flip. Uh, these drivers might sit there and go, whoa, 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 whoa. I know that um, we we get paid a lot of money and in, in, in stuff like that, and we're a lot more safer than where we were before. But I still have family and kids to think about. I don't care. I don't want to get upside down. And the drivers might push back a little bit. So that's another thing. NASCAR is kind of. You know, as much as we kill them, destroy them on this show, at times, um, there's a lot of a lot of things that go into it. And to take to just rip the side skirts and the splitters off, the drivers and, and other people might have a problem with that. And again, you know, we saw um, how long ago was it? Three, four years ago, Kyle Larson's Xfinity car going to the stands at Daytona. That's something I don't think anybody wants to have happen. And if you take the side skirts and splitters off these off these race cars. 
the likelihood of those cars slipping and flying through stands might be greater, and that's something NASCAR doesn't want to take a risk on as well. So that's all stuff to keep in mind about the downforce in these race cars. Uh, I mean, without a doubt, the safety is the most important thing when it comes to it. I mean, the, the side skirts, the front splitters, I mean, I don't like the splitters. I like to have a front valence, so he still goes down the same way. It just looks better. But <clears throat> they need to have be able to keep the car on the ground more than anything because as much as <clears throat> wrecks are part of the sport, I'd rather not have loss of life be a part of the sport. It's nice that we've gone almost 15 years without losing a life. I mean, I think Earnhardt's the last one we lost on the track, wasn't it? And, I mean, yeah, it I think means it a lot to be able to have these guys on the yeah. track. And it just, safety's paramount, safety comes first, but there's got to be a way to open up the rule book and still be able to keep the safety aspects into the vehicle. Right. And, and that's where I think people have to kind of, come to reality a little bit. You know, we're not going to take the plates off these cars on, on super speedways, and I think a lot of people would like to see that. It's not going to happen. Um, but, again, I think as far as that is concerned, I think it's something that I think the safety is really a big issue. Um, and it's, it's just a miracle to me, John, that we've come so far in this sport in the last 10 years to where we can – I heard teams one time discussing that they had photographers in turn three taking pictures of other teams' cars to see how they roll through the center and how low they get in the corner. To me, that that, that that matters, that that is a big thing that teams do. It's mind-boggling to me that that would matter, and I would like to see that not matter and, and get these cars off the ground a little bit. Um, what are your final thoughts here on, on do you think we'll see the caution clock? Do you think we'll see timed races eventually in NASCAR? I hope not for both. I think time races is a probability because especially with the way things have been going, whenever you have rain, you have red flags, you have the different things going on. I think the networks are getting to the point where they're trying to put it into a window and especially toward the end of the season with Cup, whenever you're looking at NBC putting in the last few races on the network and they've got Sunday night football and they're not pulling that. They're not going to pull Sunday night football to keep the championship going Very on at Homestead, they'll go to NBCSN. So that's one of the things you're looking at. You have a window. You have an opportunity to be on the big network. If you blow that window, you're ended up on channel 864 or something. I mean, I don't even know what the hell channel it is. I have to hit the guide to find <laughs> it. Yeah. That's a very good point about, about football because they're not – you're right. They're not – They. I'm, I think it happened last year where they took off the pre uh, the pregame show – on uh, NFL Sunday, the pregame show on, on NBC because of the, of the championship race. And another thing is, this is my final point on it, um, I think this TV contract, these TV networks are in control. They've paid a lot of money. And if, if the reports are true that Monster Energy's deal is significantly lower than Sprint's, the TV contract's money is what's really keeping this sport not a float, but it's really big into this sport right now, a lot more than Monsters. So they're going to have a big-time say in what goes on. So it should be interesting to see how it materializes. I don't think we're going to see anything for the 2017, maybe not even 2018 season, but we'll see how that goes. John, thank you so much for, for helping me out tonight. You're always a great, great host. Thank you guys for listening to Talking in Circles. We'll see you next time.
Good night, everybody. Getting ready for the talk.